this morning, we're going to be in two texts. <clears throat> Jeremiah 17, you can turn there first, and we're going to be in James chapter 2. This is the four-week four series. This could function as a, a class. This could function as a seminar. This could function, it's going to function as a sermon. But it's based on the work of two authors, Tim Lane and Paul Tripp, and a book called How People Change. And so we're going to take the kind of primary moorings from that and, and walk through them together and then I want to give it to us at a pace which we can digest. Give it to us in meal portions we can consume. Now, I want to show you this image. This is from a TV show my kids like. We like shows like this. I don't know. One of my friends called them the Hardcastle shows. They're just kind of strange Discovery Channel shows. So this show, um, Dual Survival, the, the tagline is um, The Art of Self-Reliance. And so you usually got two people who are like survival experts and they're different worldviews. Like the, the guy on the left, this is like ex-military, special forces, eat snakes, that kind of thing. The guy, the guy on the left is like kind of a hippie, hasn't worn shoes in 40 years, you know, just happy-go-lucky guy. And, and so the kind of their clash is what kind of makes the show. And then, you know, you, you kind of learn how to survive, but really it would just be... Yes, we're lost. Can you complete? You know, it would be one of those things. The art of self-reliance. This is the tagline of the show. So it's a kind of an intriguing thing in a show. This art of self-reliance is deadly in real life. This is the predominant problem people have. I want to be king. I want to be God. I want to rule my life. I want all of my will, and I want to do it on my own. This is deadly. Because what, the opposite of that is someone who's humble and dependent upon God. Someone who's trusting Him for life and hope. At the songs we just sang about, that, that's a posture of God. Here's you, and here's me. And, and in your love, you've come down to capture me. And that humbles me, and it makes me dependent upon you. In fact, the believing life, the the Christian life, is the one of continual, complete reliance upon God. And so as as entertaining as the show is, it kind of reaches a a sinful part of our humanity, which I want to live life on my own. We're going to unpack, beginning this morning, and we'll continue in the weeks to come, uh, not necessarily why is that, but a... What is it, and then how do we migrate out of that? All right, so let's move on. Let's look at Jeremiah 17. This is kind of the overarching text for the next, the weeks we're together. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the person who trusts in mankind. He makes human flesh his strength, and his heart turns from the Lord. This is a uh, picture. Now, I searched really hard for actual thorn bushes in Israel. I'm not a, uh, what do you call those people? The plant people. There's some great word. They probably use in this museum about that. Um, thank you very much. And, uh, and so this may not be the technical thorny thing. I just thought this is, this is the heart, the heart that I live for myself. I live on my own power, my own direction in life. Jeremiah, the Lord through Jeremiah says, the person who trusts in mankind, the person who trusts in human flesh, 
It's verse 6. He'll be like a juniper in the Areba. Some translations say this is like a thorn bush in the desert or a shrub in the desolate places. It's, it's this thing. Some little just barely holding on, dried up, burnt up. Anything comes in contact with it, they, it leaves worse, not better. Not a blessing in this world. A scourge, a curse. Cursed is the person who trusts in mankind. Cursed is the person who's self-reliant. Cursed is the person who's man-reliant, not God-reliant. Cursed is the person who's man-centered, not God-centered. This is what God has said through Jeremiah. They're the people whose hearts turn from the Lord. Verse 7. The person who trusts in the Lord, this is the opposite, whose confidence indeed is in the Lord, is blessed. And this is not a a health and wealth prosperity gospel message, but there's an undertone of if I want to experience God's goodness, and we want to, and, and He has goodness for us to experience. It comes predominantly from trusting Him. And often it isn't like, oh, you trusted me, here's your dream car. Often it is, oh, you trusted me, and this song you sang about, about I waited on you, God, and you held me. You held me fast. I wasn't just thrown to the wolves. Imagine a life of experiencing struggle after struggle, hardship after hardship, on depending on God, and he's coming through. And people don't come in contact with me in these struggle and like, oh, gosh, she don't go by her today. Nope, don't ask dad for anything today. Uh, they find me a source of blessing. They find me a source of, of life-giving, even in the midst of immense struggle. Verse 7, the person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is in the Lord, is blessed. He'll be like a tree planted by water, who sends its roots out toward a stream, and doesn't fear when the heat comes. And I'll pause here. This is what today's message is. Heat. This is God's means of changing us. It doesn't fear when the heat comes. And its foliage remains green. It, does, it will not worry in the year of drought or cease producing fruit. When the heat comes, for one, it's shriveled up, dried up, thorny response. And for the other, it is green and fruit-bearing and life-giving. The exact same source of heat. Nine and ten. The heart is more deceitful than anything else. Incurable. Beyond understanding. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, examine the mind. I test the heart. I give to each according to his way, according to what his actions deserve. God says, I'm the one who understands it. I'm the one who sees deeply into the person. All right, so let me give you the kind of overarching paradigm we'll be walking through. This is an illustration, again, from this book, How People Change. And so you see at the top, you have this uh, heat, sun. Essentially, this is what is happening. And we'll walk through a little bit later. This can be all kinds of things. This can be difficulties. Everything from stubbing your toe to 
some giant bill to some take the breath out of you diagnosis. It could also be blessings, a promotion, maybe a new pastor. It could be temptations. Heat is what is occurring that we respond to. Now, thorns, this is the ungodly response to heat. It's, it's a little dried up, shriveled up, burnt up, thorny bush you saw earlier. It's our behavior, and it's our heart driving that behavior. In fact, heat does not make you something you're not. This is part of the beauty of how God's wired this. And it's part of the uh, factor. When I experience the heat of life, it exposes me for what I really am. What's really in me comes out. And it exposes truly what my need of God is. The cross, the bottom part, this is the presence of God and redemptive love. No Christian ever experiences any degree of heat, second of heat on their own. We don't walk through any part of life all on our own. The cross is the presence of God and redemptive love. In Christ, he not only brings comfort, but also cleansing and also the power to change. The last image, and this will be the fourth week if you kind of follow me here. Fruit, this is someone's godly response to the same old heat that results not in thorns, but in fruit. Results not in kind of shrapnel, emotional damage, but in life-giving words and deeds. Okay, so leave your bookmark there. Let's shift to James chapter 1, and let's walk through this idea of heat and then give some application this morning. James chapter 1, if you've been a believer for a while or around a church for some time, you probably have heard one or a dozen messages from James, and maybe even this text in particular. Verse 2, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Consider it a great joy. Put your hand up. Jersey fist pump. Hey, how's it going? Whoo, I got a good trial going on right now. Brag about it on Facebook. I, I really don't mean that. Don't do that. Consider it a great joy when you experience various trials. Now, if you're like me, and I'm assuming to some degree you are, I don't experience a great joy. Usually it's, I mean, the shoulders drop and my head drops and my heart drops and, and, I, and I begin calculating, how hard will this be? When will this be over? And it doesn't have to be big things. It often is very little things. It often is, oh, brake lights, wait, why didn't I check the traffic on my phone app? Why wasn't I self-reliant? Some years ago, when I was in graduate school, um, I first kind of stopped and said, I'm going to 
I sense we need to do a little pastoring here. And so went around the class and just kind of say, you know, what's, what's happening in your life that we can pray for? The person would share, we'd pray for them. What's happening? What's, what's really a struggle in your life? And pray. And it kind of came to my turn, and I had been thinking, I said, I don't think anything's off the rails right now. And he said, okay, that, that, that can be, just know it's not the norm. And it won't be long before it is. Not that God's a mean God, it's just that his predominant way of changing us, his predominant way of making us humble and dependent upon him, his predominant way of him being the rescuer is to kind of, uh, if we had a big canvas, he often paints it dark first before he paints something bright on it to make it abundantly clear He's the one who gets the glory. Trials, difficulties, this is God's predominant means. And so this is a certainty. And so, you know, if somehow in your brain, in your heart, is a unwarranted expectation, hey, if God's for me, and if I'm, you know, relatively obedient to him, life should pretty much work out pretty good. Meaning, there, there shouldn't be any difficulty. There shouldn't be any valley of the shadow of death I walk through. That's not reality. That's not the Bible. In fact, and it is, it is hard for me to say, not because it's not true, but because I'm weak. I often don't feel like I'm getting a big old hug from God when things are hard. In fact, heat often feels like punishment. It's not. If you're a note taker, you might want to write something like that down. Heat often feels like God is punishing you. And he is not. In fact, heat is often an invitation. It's not him distancing you. It's him saying, come here. Come close. Continue in James chapter three, or chapter one, verse three. Because and the why is, it, why is it a great joy? Because you know the testing of your faith produces endurance. Yes, James, it often hurts. It produces endurance, and let that endurance have its full effect, so you may be mature, complete, lacking nothing. God's primary means of discipleship is heat. Now, you know, Gina talked about college ministry. I mean, a big chunk of that job description is discipleship a big chunk i gotta write reports on it uh, you know what I, what I i never think of and hey let's start meeting for you know we'll get some coffee i never think of like bringing some hardship into someone's life as like yeah so we're not going to do this like you know bible study we're not gonna we're just like gonna have something bad happen and then unpack it. I never think that way. And I'm like, a, I'm like a professional discipler. His primary means of changing us, discipling us, is heat. Verse 5 through 8. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. What kind of wisdom does James have in mind? Probably something with the first three verses he just wrote. Probably some kind of wisdom where I can 
have a lens which I interpret these trials as actually good. Where I now value, I value you changing me more than I value kind of light momentary pleasure. I value you changing the character of my kids more than I value their earthly success. Oh, let's just get real down and dirty. I value you changing the heart of our family more than I value some relaxation time at 9.15 when someone tells me, oh, hey, by the way, I got this project that, um, I don't know, they just gave it to us last minute, maybe a month ago, and I need a poster board, and I need this thing, and I need some help, and I'm going to flunk otherwise, I won't pass it. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a slow learner. I'm slow to see, oh, hey, whoo, God's discipling us. I often see and say, thorny things. We need wisdom to correct our vision. Where we begin to seeing all the ouch, all the heat of life, this is God doing a good work. Verse 9 through 12. Let the brother of humble, humble circumstance boast in his exaltation. Let the rich boast in his humiliation because he will pass away like a flower in the field. The sun rises and gathers with a scorching wind, dries up the grass, and the flower falls off, and its beautiful appearance perishes. What Ecclesiastes says, life is a mere breath. Life is so short. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. So blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Lots to say about this. Let's just say this one thing. There's two types of heat. There's the one we obviously know. Yes, that's heat. That's hot. That hurts. That burns. And that is things being taken from us. That is things being withheld in our perspective. Things being withheld from us. That is things getting harder. It's, it's things like A company shifting priorities, and now your department isn't really needed. Or merging, and now we got overlap. And, and so it's things like losing a job. It's things that cause us to despair. Cause us to doubt God. It is also things like blessing. The very same job getting a promotion. And not just like a title promotion, an actual money promotion. Not just a, not just an A word, word, a, a reward. <clears throat> Often those kind of trials where instead of I'm tempted to despair, God, you don't love me. In that case, I'm tempted to take what extra provision he's given and hoard it. And say, God, I don't need you. I don't need your love. I've got a cushion. That's my shock absorber for life. Both types of heat occur. And, and we, we rarely see what we would call blessing as a source of heat. We rarely see provision and protection as a source of discipling. 
we rarely, we rarely call God in the question, hey, I don't like how you're loving me. When, well, when I drove here this morning, it was one of those really pretty fall days. I'm like a blue, blue. You know, we're not in the Caribbean, but one of those like Caribbean sky blues. It's not some rainy mess. Not like the night before. Both of them can be sources of heat. Let me see this, show, you, show you this quote from uh, Lane and Tripp. They say difficulty, heat, is, is often kind of packaged or hidden in blessing. And similarly, this is kind of their cute turn of phrase, a blessing is often packaged in difficulty. And so I don't know at this moment what, you, what you're predominantly experiencing. I know if you think for a little bit, you're experiencing something. This is, this is how God's wired the world. And maybe you're experiencing an inordinate amount of heat in the outside. Or maybe you're experiencing a blessing side. Or, or probably some concoction of both. And you're just being flopped around. He is not against you in this. He's not punishing you. In fact, he's inviting you to a deeper experience of him. So, let's talk for a minute about what are these categories? When we, what are we tempted by when we experience heat? I have a pretty big list here. We're tempted by things. This would be James 13 and 15. Let me just read that quickly and you're probably familiar with this. No one undergoes a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God. Since God's not tempted by evil, he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. When desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin's fully grown, gives birth to death. And so what does heat look like? Heat doesn't, it looks like things like comfort. It looks like, I'm sitting, and I'm relaxing. I may have even brushed my teeth already. It's like I'm done eating. And I'm just, I want to sit somewhere soft and read something or watch something. And I don't know that's what I really want until someone from the other room says, Dad, the printer's out of ink. I don't know how much I'm treasuring this couch until that happens. That's a small amount of heat. Oh, yeah, no one's open at 9.15. I don't know if you do that or not. Amazon Prime's great, but it didn't get there that night. It's exposed in, in pleasure. I mean, you know, part, part of my struggle with the gluttony in food is... I really like how that tastes. Man, those salty fries. I love that salty fry. And that, mmm, that sweet chocolate. Mm, love chocolate. Now, I'm not even hungry. I just like how it tastes. Mmm, delicious. Or reputation. 
I mean, maybe you don't know that you have a tendency to serve an idol reputation until it's withheld from you. Until it's your idea. Hey, my idea was the one that's going to revolutionize what we're doing. Hey, I'm so excited about this. Um, and you're not mentioned at all. It doesn't go on your performance review. It doesn't go on your, but that's, that's my idea. You, don't, you just kind of go home and get mad and tell five friends. And... Power, acceptance, control, approval. So much of our human interaction has a thread of, I want you to like me. I want you to like me. And so I might not say, or I might say, or I might not laugh at, or I might laugh at, or I might, you know, exaggerate, because I I, I want your approval. And a very common experience of humanity is, is I'm seeking the approval of man and not the approval of God. And here's the, here's the, here's just the, uh, let me speak myself first. Here's the insanity of that. In Christ, I have the complete approval of God. I mentioned gluttony. Jesus has a record of being a perfect eater. Perfect eater. And that record is applied to me. So any of my over-fry eating or over-chocolate eating, any of that, or even my under-eating, right? Any depravity in eating, he, is a, he sees what Jesus has done in my place. I have his complete approval. And yet, I'm so wooed by the approval of people. Aren't these fries the best fries? I don't really like these fries. What? Really? No, I like them when they clump together. You like when they clump together. I like when they're kind of soggy. Oh, they're soggy. Okay, well. Security. I mean, have you noticed when there's more than enough to pay everything? You're just kind of relaxed and chill. And when there's maybe not, whew, everything. Everything's way bigger than it should be. Trials do not cause us to be what we have not been. They reveal what we've been all along. There might be probably one or two of these that land on you. And so the, uh, I'm sure you've never said this. Actually, I'm sure you have. This is the phrase, she makes me so angry. He makes me so angry. No one makes us anything. Oh, I get angry. That's true. It's undeniable. We get a big, great cloud of witnesses. Most of them related to me. Yes, I can testify. That's an angry man. But none of them, none of their ink running out, all that stuff, none of that made me angry. What it did do is it exposed what was in here all along. It, It Put a light on me. 
I'm a person who unknowingly was leaning, trusting in human flesh, not trusting in God. Making human flesh my source of life, not God. It exposes me. Let me show you this image. This is from another resource, uh, Gospel Living. And it's something we'll return back to you. It's helpful. And so kind of the, the, the lay of the land here is at the, at the fork. This is when someone comes to faith in Christ. When they come alive in Christ, there's two simultaneous things happening. One is a person has an awareness, and a, actually a growing awareness of God's holiness. And the corresponding great awareness of their sinfulness. And so someone comes, comes to faith. I've sinned against a holy God, and he must punish every sin that man commits. So, and he's made me believe Jesus had died on my place. So I run to Jesus to have the death that God demands for what I've done. So the cross bridges the gap between God's holiness and my sinfulness. And, and mature, maturing belief in Jesus is that, oh, I'm worse than I ever thought. And it's not that you keep doing worse and worse things. In fact, what it is, what we experience it as is, uh, I get some victory. We're thinking about victory today. I get some victory over some sin categories or, or sin types. And, and I, really what happens is I get a little closer to the deep pit of my heart. And I say, oh, that, that goes down farther than I thought. Get a little more victory, take another step. That's, that's still going down. You can't see down there. It's not that we become more sinful. We see more and more of it. It's not that he becomes more holy. We see more and more of it. Now this idea of this shrinking the cross is that when a person trusts Christ for salvation, there it should be. God's designed it for there is a greater and greater and greater and greater trusting of Christ. And yet what we tend to do is we tend to fill in those gaps with pretending or performing. Let me give you an illustration. I, uh, I have three boys, and here's a little picture of them, I think. Um, when they were younger, we did a lot of baseball, which really involved a lot of me standing behind a screen like that and tossing balls at them and them hitting the balls and going to pick them back up. And this sounds like a a wonderful, like even Mormon church type commercial, right? Oh, how great, you know. But it really was almost never that. Everyone came into this with expectations. Uh, I came into this with expectations of, oh, this will go great. I'll throw everything around the plate. My arm won't hurt. And, um, and they'll have a great attitude. They came into it thinking, okay, I'm nine years old, but I'm pretty much on the way to MLB. So this is going to... And then everything in between. And so... Yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not God. I can't put every pitch right around the plate, every toss. Well, if you move up closer, yeah, I moved up closer. I still couldn't do it. And, um, and so they yell at me, Dad, stop throwing the ball outside. So I throw it inside. I hit him. Stop hitting me. Stop throwing it high. Stop throwing it low. And then I'm like, well, no, I do want to hit you. And, uh, and so they're mad, and they're yelling, and I'm like, you're 11. I have a ball. What are you doing? I yell. I'm exasperated. I'm not patient. I'm not encouraging them. I'm serving 
more than a few of those idols we saw earlier. In fact, I'm really serving the idol of control. I want control. I want to accomplish all I want. Well, yeah, Blake, everyone. Yeah, I know, that's sinful. God is the only one who accomplishes all his will. In fact, what I'm doing in that moment is I'm shrinking the cross. And if we go back to this image, I'm, I'm not seeing... Um, I'm not seeing... Jesus as a bigger, bigger need. I, I'm doing one of two things. Actually, I'm doing both things at the same time. I'm pretending my sin is not that bad. So uh, the bottom part, growing awareness of my sinfulness, I, I'm, I'm closing that gap with, it's not that bad. I, I'm, I'm thinking things like, these kids are lazy. They're not going to pick up these balls very fast. In fact, I think I'm picking up more balls than them. These kids are, they got a bad attitude. They got a bad swing. I told them to use the lighter bat. They're using the heavier bat, trying to be MLB at 11 years old. It's their fault. I'm pretending that my harsh, my thorny living is not thorny living. I'm not running to Christ in need. Oh, please help me. I can't even throw batting practice. Please, Jesus. And I'm also performing, because I'm thinking things like, well, next time... Next time, maybe I'll, uh, I'll do some underhand. And maybe next time, I'll, I'll, I won't bring a heavy bat. I'll only bring lighter bats. And next time, so I, if I can do better, I don't need Jesus to, to close the gap between God's holiness. I, I can do better. And, and we, in our sinful response to heat, our thorny response, we, we feel, feel like we're doing okay. We're justified in it. If we orbit those two things, pretending and performing. And, and what we're going to head these next weeks is God's going to be saying over and over again, yeah, you tired yet? You failed enough yet? Are you ready to run consistently, completely to the cross for Jesus to do what you cannot do? And what's really interesting in all that is that my kids could never verbalize this and they could never put their finger on it. They just know something's wrong. They know dad is responding the wrong way to this heat. They know dad, it's not congruent. Jeremiah 17, let's head back there. 17 verse 9. The heart is deceitful, more deceitful than anything else. It's incurable. It's beyond human understanding. My heart with my kids in the field, it it wanted control more than anything else. It wanted to be in control. (coughs) What Lane and Tripp say is that heat will not go away. Right? It's not going to go away. that 9-year-old and 11-year-old are not going to become mature hitters with good attitudes. Like, oh, I missed that one, Dad. Good job. Hey, get a little bit lower, please. That's not going to do that. Heat will not go away. In fact, the heat in your life, it might get hotter. It might get harder. It might be more painful. 
And don't miss this. You're not alone. You don't walk through one degree, one second of heat on your own. If you're a believer, God has not abandoned you. And here's what it feels like. It feels like, okay, oh, ouch, that hurts, God, I'm praying. Silence from God can feel like punishment. If he's silent, he's not punishing you. I know, it, I know, trust me, I know it feels like punishment. I've written in a journal, this feels like punishment. Are you sure you love me? Just do something. I don't know, extra fries in my McDonald's bag, something. Do I feel like you love me? It's not punishment. He is inviting you deeper. 2 Corinthians 15.5, we'll just, just to make this one point, we'll run there. I think I have it on the screen. And he who died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Jesus died, dear believer, for you and was raised, so that you would no longer live for yourself. How does it intersect what we're doing with heat and Jeremiah? This way. Um, this promise of new life, of no longer living for yourself, part of that means, you know what? It doesn't have to be the same old thorn bush response to heat. You can face the exact same heat scenarios. And now it can be not living for yourself where you're living for Christ and God's glory. And you can become a source of truth and a source of life. You could have a fruitful response to those same sources of heat. We can do this because our, our potential is this indwelling Christ. There's a, excuse me, there's a hope that a Christian can face the very same sources of heat today that you faced yesterday, and it can be different. Your response can be different. Now let me give you, this is on the screen, uh, one more illustration of, uh, of maybe even this week. How, how can you take, well, the main step this week is going to be, you know what, pay attention and see what your heat is. And maybe, in fact, just ask God for some new lenses to see. Let me just see where the heat's at. I've not been thinking that way yet. Let me start thinking that way and just see where are the hot points in my life. And a second step, and in fact, if you've already landed on you in that list of idols we saw before, if you oh, that's me. Yeah, that one is me. Uh, let me tell you how I, uh, how I fight against this. One of the primary ways of defeating these idols and their power is, is to kind of take it to the nth degree and, and put them in their place. So I, I'm a control lover. It's idiotic. My ability to control things is very, very small. So things like this, control over the situation or control itself that tugs at my heart. I don't know if I'm slick enough to make this an illustration right now. <laughs> and maybe I'm not. Maybe it's the spirit. These batteries just went out. Your energy, your ability to live a life pleasing to God on your own, it's nano, it's small. And when we run to him in repentance and faith, he does something through the spirit where he gives us a fresh ability. 
what I was saying is, control, you look beautiful to me now, but when did you ever leave your place of prominence and glory to humble yourself for me? Oh, control never did that. Control, when did you ever enter in my world and suffer on my behalf? Oh, no, never. Control, when did you ever shed your blood so that I might be cleansed from my sin? Or maybe you would say approval or acceptance. When did you ever do that? Control, when were you ever raised from the dead on my behalf? When did you ever promise to give me new life and power? Control, when did you ever promise to send the Holy Spirit to truly control me that would help me please God even when my earthly control was threatened? Control has never done that. Control, when did you ever promise to intercede for me to the Father in heaven so I would be strong in a trial? Control, when did you ever promise to come again and redeem me from the things that captivate me and make me their slave? Control, all these, never did. Never, ever did. This list you have on the, on the screen, this is a, a short list. Don't necessarily try and write these down. Maybe one or two will help you of what are the questions I would ask? What are the questions we should ask if we're going to kind of take a, uh, a heat map look at our life? Where do I find heat? Well, it would be things like, what pressure do you regularly face? Every morning in our household, there's some people who, they don't like school. They don't want to go to school. They love sleep. Oh, they love sleep. And every morning, I crush their dreams by removing the love of their life sleep and inserting the great scourge of their life school. It shouldn't shock me every morning. It often does. What are your God-given opportunities? Where are your everyday responsibilities? What, what temptations are you facing? Is there an unexpected blessing? Or where are the difficult people in your life? Oh, yep, got that. Oh, yeah, that is. What situations do you feel alone or misunderstood? This is often a source of heat. I'm all by myself. It's all on my shoulders. No no one quite gets what I'm going through. What challenges this modern culture value? What what are these pressures that's bringing on you? What areas do you feel overwhelmed by the things assigned to you? What place are you tempted to hide or avoid? This is one we can kind of look and scan and see where are the sources of heat. And here's probably what's going to happen. If you haven't been thinking about life this way, you'll bump and bang into life and later on go, oh, oh, that was heat. Oh. I'm teaching this. I had to prepare this. This is how I experience it. I, I, I know. I'll have lunch with my kids today and there'll be someone who's disgruntled. I love them. They're not horrible people. They're, they're just people. They're just sinners. And I will forget, oh, this is a source of heat. This is God calling me deeper to need him, be humble before him. Let's close with this. Heat is God's primary means of discipling us. It's our, his primary means to expose our need for him. It's his primary means to Help us live dependent on the gospel. And so this week, if there was homework from church, two things. Just begin scanning and looking. What are the sources of heat in your life? 
And this, this is not like, you know, this is not like a, uh, so if you're here with someone you, you do life with, this is not like a, oh, I experience you as a source of heat right now. This is not like a beat each other up with church words, okay? This is not one of those things. What are your sources of heat? What idols might have a foothold in you? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, more than we could ever want, you want to make yourself look great by you being the one who produces fruit in us. And where non-believers would be surprised to find out that we're just like them. That oh, we might live different than them, but the process, I, I was like you, and apart from the gospel of Christ, I'm just like you. May we become keenly aware of our thorny inclination. And so things may get worse, Lord, for us than this week than better. But, but your truth is never something we need to hide from. And in fact, it, the, the reality of truth, your truth, is mildly persuasive. Would, would you persuade us that we deeply need you because we see so much heat in our lives? Uh, this we ask for your glory. This we ask because apart from ourselves, we have no chance of this. And in fact, this we've already been asking this morning as we've been singing these prayers. And as we close, this, this is what we ask one more time. Come and rescue us this week. Amen.